and welcome to the Bucket List Gamers podcast. Today we are looking at Civilization 1, which is number 62 in the list from 1991, and Civilization 4, which is 98 on the list from 2005. As always, I am joined by Eddie. Hello. And it's fair to say we don't have an awful lot to say about the Civilization games. I haven't played one, full disclosure, because you can't play one now unless you're willing to search it out on some sort of abandonware site or something that will stream it or find an incredibly old PC and disked or, well, I assume floppy disks probably when that came out to actually play it. So I've watched videos of it. I think I would have got on with it if if I'd have had it when I was probably like 12 or 13, when I was just getting into that strategy gaming like Command and Conquer, Age of Empires, those kind of games. If I'd have had Civ 1 then, I probably would have put time into it and figured it all out. But to look at it now, I just feel like there's too much going on. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't know where to start with the menus and what to do and, and all that kind of thing on it. And it just doesn't look particularly pretty. Saying that, the intro looks amazing. Like I love the intro of it. It's got that old... DOS style music to it, like sound blastery music. It's got the pixel art that looks fantastic. It's got the text that looks just like it's been lifted from Monkey Island or something. It's like the same font and everything at the bottom. And it talks you through how the world gets formed and and you come into creating this civilization. If I'd have seen that, I'd have gone, oh yeah, this game's for me. But then when you actually get into the game itself, it's a very different beast, isn't it? Yeah, it is... Again, like you, I have never played one and probably never will unless they do a remaster or a remake of it. Not that I think they ever will, really. And we were saying before recording that we can't... It's weird that the the better one is the lowest scoring one in the list. And I am struggling to see why they put both Mm. on this list as two separate entries because by the time they were doing this magazine i'm assuming six was out at the very least five i would have said yeah i can't i mean 2016 i don't know what year six came out but it it would have been close if not already out i would have thought and five certainly was out I i can sort of see why they've put both on because they are very different games by the time you get to four from one they don't play the same hardly at all but it's the same franchise, it's the same concept, isn't it? It's It doesn't stray from that formula much, it's just the way in which you play it and, and the wing conditions and stuff that do change a little bit. Yeah, um, unfortunately it's not one of those types of games that I like. I don't like stuff like Jurassic World Evolution or Roller Coaster Tycoon or that kind of city management style or SimCity. It's not really my thing. So yeah, I don't really have much to say about it. It hasn't aged particularly well, although you can tell what stuff is supposed to be. We've reviewed stuff that, you know, you look at and just go, "Uh, what is that supposed to be? Whereas this, you can tell that it's a pyramid or it's supposed to be like a Roman temple. I think you said before we started recording, Civilization 1 looks like a board game in in pixel yeah. graphics and it, it's true it does because everything's tile based which again it is in the later civilizations but everything is tile based so your little soldiers are little squares with pictures on they're not human shaped people that move around like they are on the later ones everything looks like scrabble tiles that are just moving around the yeah. the map and then each each square has got a 
certain terrain, hasn't it? And some terrains, if you set up a settlement on, give you more stuff than others. So if you set up on grass, you get one resource per turn or whatever. If you set up near water, you can start using boats. Whereas if you set up in a desert, you get next to nothing. So you really want to avoid the desert tiles, which is a bit strange if you've picked Egypt as your your choice of uh, Civ, because then you think they'd want to set up in the desert and you'd get some sort of reward for doing that, but you don't. You get the same as everyone else would. So, yeah, it, there's a lot to it, isn't there? There is an awful lot to it for a game that is that early. And if you've got the the willingness to dig into all those menus, I can't remember what game it was we played. Was it the uh, the predecessor to XCOM? where it is like you have to go into 20-odd menus just to get anything done. Yeah, It's not as bad as that, but it's on the same path, I would say, that there is so much to analyse. Like There's a little dict- like a dictionary of terms in there that shows you what all the tiles do, whatever. And if you really want to master that game, you have to read through all that stuff. You can't just go in and go, I'm going to stick my civilization, uh, civilization down on this tile without researching what that tile does first, because that could make or break the whole game. So it is, it's one of those for people who like to absorb information, I think, and take everything in and then put that to use in the best strategy. And even when you do stuff like there's little loot huts around the map where you can go in and find something that will progress your game or it'll be full of barbarians and you'll get attacked. So that's the risk reward. But even when you go into one of those, like um, you might find the alphabet, so your people discover the alphabet and then they can read other documents or certain things will give them abilities to make new units and that kind of thing. But even when you find one of those, you, you're presented with a literal screen full of text explaining what the alphabet is and how it's used and all that kind of thing. So quite, I, I think they probably were going for an educational slant on it as much as a gameplay slant when they came up with it. Yeah, I'm assuming it was probably supported by the fact that games back then had manuals. So I'm I am guessing that the accompanying manual to this would have been encyclopedic mm. in its thickness, just a, a page per explanation of each tile, a page per explanation of what each power up did, that sort of thing. And I did notice that between one and four there was a shift rather than just text dumps of what each thing did. It was sort of a bit handholdy, but at the same time, it was a lot more supportive in terms of, oh, well, if you do this on this tile, this is the sort of outcome that you're likely to get. And it was more of a gradual introduction rather than, oh, you've done this, here you go, here's a screen full of text that you are now going to have to read and hopefully potentially write down somewhere, because chances of you remembering this past the four minutes that you're going to end up reading this are slim to none, not with everything else that's going on on the screen. Yeah, I think, the like you say, the manual would have been quite big. And at some point, I believe they introduced copyright protection, because I think when the game very first came out, because it was multiple floppy disks, you could install the whole game onto your PC and then just take it back to the shop. And it worked perfectly fine because you didn't... Obviously, with CDs, you've got the boot aspect of it, haven't you? But with these floppies, you didn't. You could just install it. You can install it on 100 computers if you wanted and then just take it back to the shop and go, here you go, I don't want this anymore, or sell it on or whatever, and then you could carry on playing it. So what they did is introduce screens that pop up and ask you like trivia questions. 
but the answers are fairly obscure and are in the manual. I think the history questions, from what I remember. So there was that, which is what a lot of them did, isn't it, back in the day? You'd, you'd have to look through a manual and find a specific word on a specific page or something like that, which quite clever to to come up with that way of doing it when they couldn't think of any other way to stop people doing this because it was rife prior to that, wasn't it? People copying cassettes for Ataris and Commodore 64s and whatever. It was quite clever that they did it. It's weird that they didn't introduce it off the, the bat. So yeah, that, that encyclopedic manual probably got even bigger because they had to hide all these copyright questions in there as well for you to find. But yeah, it's it's... I think I would have liked it because unlike you, I do like those kind of games. I love Roller Coaster Tycoons, one of my favourite games. I could sit there for hours planning. I get frustrated in the end because I can never make a park as good as those pre-built ones that you can use where they have roller coasters going underground and through waterfalls and stuff. And I try and do it and I can never quite connect up the rails to make it all work. But I do enjoy playing them for the time that I do and invariably I end up just making a death trap that fires the the car off into a nearby piece of land <laughs> and just watches all the people just go on that and empty the park gradually. But I do like them. I like Jurassic World Evolution, although the first one was very difficult once you got to having anything remotely interesting in your park. So if you put Velociraptors in, they're going to escape and they're going to savage the park guests. And the second one was just weird. I didn't, I didn't get on with the second one at all because it did this weird campaign mode where you were just doing snippets of stuff that that wasn't particularly fun and then they had one where you could build the original jurassic park it was all sort of half laid out for you and i did quite enjoy that mode but i didn't play it that often for some reason i think i just got a bit bored of it eventually but yeah it, it is my type of thing but i don't think civ one now I could go back and play even if I could find it. It's just a bit too... And why would you when there's Civ 2, 3, 4, 5 and 6 that all... I say all of them do it better. They all take different routes, don't they? It's it's not the same game it was when it first came out, but they are still better than this one, I would probably say. And I think this got the higher position in the list through nostalgia alone for people that were voting that played this when it came out and i think there is still a sort of active community for it even though you can't really get hold of it anymore yeah i mean there's there's still active communities for stuff like lemmings and stuff like that so (laughs) it it doesn't surprise me and and the original donkey kong so yeah (laughs) it doesn't massively surprise me that it's still popular and like you say it probably is nostalgia that has kept the first one on because i think four from what I've seen, it was sort of the pivoting point where it added a load of new stuff in and it sort of refined all the old details and that's what everything has run with since then. So like one, two and three were sort of adding bits here and there and slowly making gameplay a little bit easier and making little tweaks, whereas fours where it cemented, this is what we're going with, these are the new additions that we've made. Although it is nice to sort of, because there is sort of a an alternate world history aspect to it as well where you can have i don't know germans in like the mid 1940s with like new, complete nuclear capabilities and how would that have worked out in that sort of era and you can accelerate your ancient civilizations to know stuff that they never would have mm. Um, so that you can advance technology far beyond what we as human beings actually did so it's kind of a nice spin on world history in terms of if there was this sort of benevolent overseer who was pulling the strings behind everything, how differently human history could have been shaped. 
Yeah, I think I do like the concept of, I think it's 4000 BC to sort of in front of when it came out. Probably, I don't know if it goes further than we are now. I don't think Civ 1 does. But the new ones certainly do, don't they? I think Civ 4, can you end up in space by the end of that one? Yeah. On a different planet, colonising a different planet. So it's like you say, it's interesting to see how a simulation thinks that that would pan out if, if it did that. Yeah, moving on to Civ 4 a little bit, it like you say, it refined a lot of stuff from the first three. I think it introduced religion, although it wasn't doing it as complicated as the newer ones do. I think all the religions acted exactly the same, whereas in the new ones they've all got their different traits, like like the leader traits, but for the religions. I think it introduced multiple leader choices as well. So if you pick like America, you can be Abraham Lincoln, you can be like Jefferson or something. You can pick from different people and they all have different character traits as well. All the civilizations themselves have a bit more of a unique quality to them in terms of what different, like the Americans get Minutemen who are quite good in combat, whereas other areas will be more advanced in science or space technology or all that kind of thing. So it, it does make the game incredibly replayable because you're never going to get the same scenario twice depending on the startup. Even if you picked identical startup conditions, the way it's all randomly generated, things will always change. So you're always going to get a different experience. And the knowledge you build up is to be able to navigate what happens, I suppose, and react rather than plan ahead because you don't know what's coming. Again, I've played Civ 4. I have actually played this one. I think I've played Civ 5 more, but I've definitely played Civ 4 because I think it was on Game Pass years and years and years ago or Games of Gold or whatever it was called. And I didn't mind it. It was just one of those where I didn't have time to fully learn everything in the game. So a lot of it was guesswork. And I won a couple of times, lost a couple of times. But I think if I had the motivation and the time to put effort into it and learn what every little mechanic does, I would really get on with this game. It is my kind of thing. And like you say, you get that alternate history. You can forge bonds with other people or you can go to war with them. And I think... Was it Civ 4 that introduced more ways to win? So you can advance science, can't you, and win by just being the most scientifically advanced or building a wonder or winning so many battles against other armies or taking the most land. There's lots of different... I think you have to get two, do you, on, on the normal mode? Like two win conditions, from what I remember. Yeah. It's definitely a fun game to play and one that you can keep going back to. It just takes a bit of time to invest in it. You can't have a quick game of Civilization, from what I've found, unless you lose incredibly quickly, then you can. But if you if you have any aspirations of winning, you need to plan out some time to play it. Yeah, and I, to be honest, I think I've found that with a lot of RTS, basically. Mm. Unless you invest a lot of time in getting used to the mechanics you are going to lose a lot there's i mean starcraft i always come back to was always my go-to rts and i don't think i could go back and play that now because i've not played it in about 15 years and i am so out of sort of like those the little micro habits that you pick up when you get good at these sorts of games of oh, while well, this is happening, I can go over and do this, and then I can set that going, and then I can go and do this. You lose that sort of mindset and that mentality to have multiple things on the go at once. And, you know, I know the, the sort of reflexive clicks that you end up doing of you know where to move the mouse to click on certain things to start stuff going again. You lose that ability. And I, I, 
I always compare these sorts of things to things like Spore as well, because that civilization boiled down to like a macro level. Mm. So you're focusing on one single organism within that massive civilization. And there is that slow progression of how you evolve that individual creature as opposed to the civilization that you're evolving. And again, Spore, not exactly the greatest received game at the time. Um, (laughs) But those sorts of games, they all take that investment of time to be good and enjoy, really. Is Spore the one where you can basically make a big with legs and have it run around <laughs> as its own species <laughs> yeah, and yeah. fight with things? I I always wanted to play Spore, but it was it, it had a really weird launch, didn't it? Didn't they launch it as like always online or something and uh, or something yeah. along those lines and DRM'd and stuff and it it didn't go over. It was the most pirated game ever, wasn't it? Because of what they did, like everyone rallied against it and pirated it quite a lot. Yeah, it was one of those similar to No Man's Sky where it promised the earth. And then when it was released, it was just glitchy and buggy and everyone was online. And it was at a time when Always Online wasn't a practical application Mm. for a video game. And it just crashed and it had so many errors. Um, So, yeah, I I know they put a lot of effort into fixing it like they've done with stuff like No Man's Sky, really. And it's probably a very different creature, no no (laughs) pun intended, um, to what it was when it was released. I'm assuming there is still quite a lot of people that still play that because it was still an interesting concept of starting like a single-celled organism and choosing whether you wanted to be a herbivore or a carnivore or you always chose being a carnivore (laughs) because they ultimately won because as a herbivore you could only eat plants and you just had to avoid everything else that was trying to kill you. But yeah. We might do an episode on Spore, to be fair, if if we can get hold of it and... And play it. I would like to talk about that more because it is an interesting concept, much like this. Like you say, it's it's two different. Spore was obviously aimed at younger people, wasn't it? Because it's quite yeah easy to navigate, point and click, do this, do that, create your own little fuzzy little animal and make it whatever shape and size you want and all that kind of thing. Whereas this is sort of for grown ups, I would say. Like <laughs> you're not going to get many yeah. kids playing Civ Four. It's a good one, I think. I, I've not played it massively because of the time constraints of it, but it's something that I would go and play, which we haven't always been able to say for things on this list. Civ 1, not so much, although I can see what it was going for, and at the time, yes, probably really good. Probably did garner a lot of fans, because it was one of the earlier games where you had that level of replayability and longevity. A lot of games back then were a couple of hours, weren't they? Start to finish, whereas this, you got some real value out of it. A couple of things I did learn, actually. Sid Meier wasn't involved in any of them after the first one, really. So he he made the first one, did a battle engine for the second one, I think, and then no involvement since then. But his name as... I don't think even... Civilization 1 wasn't Sid Meier's Civilization. So the one that he actually did work on, his name wasn't on. And then all the subsequent ones, they've stuck his name on the top. And I know he's done loads of other good games hasn't he like railway tycoon and all that kind of in that that area at least so that's probably why they're sticking his name on it still to get that sway but i also feel like unless you're a civilization fan already you're not going to know sid meyer is and what he's accomplished so it almost defeats the object of putting his name on it yeah it's like a very niched uh stamp of quality recognition isn't it um it's it's like putting 
the name of a random Nintendo employee who made one of your favourite games ever as a stamp of approval on every game that he's ever made <laughs> or been sort of involved in. And to no one else will it mean a single thing, <laughs> but to the that little niche of people that know and like that guy for that first game that he made, it's a, it's a stamp of quality. Yeah, like if Hideo Kojima did a bit of programming for the first Pro Evo. Then it's just Hideo Kojima's yeah. Pro Evolution Soccer 2024. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a weird, a weird flex, I think, because yeah, the people are going to know already. They're not. I can't imagine anyone's ever gone. Oh, I'm going to buy this, but Sid Meier's name's on it, so I'll have it. Maybe in the early days when it was one or two, but not now. I don't think it needs it now, especially if he's not involved at all. But we digress. Also, I think it's worth mentioning, I don't know if it is in Civ 4 or a later one, the um, the Gandhi glitch. Oh, yeah. Which I'm sure you must you must be aware of. So Gandhi is in, I think he's in Civ 4, but I don't know if this happens in Civ 4, where he's obviously the most peaceful of all the leaders in, in the civilizations, but there's some sort of glitch where you can, because you can, you can lower and higher people's like aggressive reaction towards you can't you by doing nice things for them or encroaching on their territory when you're not allowed etc and there's something in the coding which i assume has been patched now where with gandhi you could be so nice to him that his scale sort of flipped off the other end of the chart and he became the most aggressive dictator in the whole thing and was just would just fire nukes on anyone that came remotely close to him (laughs) And it's become a bit of a meme, hasn't it, now? The old uh, Gandhi <laughs> yeah. with the nukes thing, which I think is brilliant. And if they have patched it, it's a shame. I would have left it in because it is quite an interesting uh, interesting glitch, that one. Whether it's Civ 4 or not, I don't know. I'd have to research that. But I I would like to see that in action. I've seen videos of it, but I wouldn't mind. that. If, if you're going to lose a game of Civ, that's probably the best way to go out. <laughs> Gandhi nuking all your territory. Yeah. I mean, it's disappointing that they didn't do the polar opposites. Like with Julius Caesar or Hitler, you could just be so nasty to them that they just flipped and just became the most benevolent leaders ever. You could just push them too far and they just snap. Yeah, like they're just like, oh, that's that's not very nice. Is that what I'm like? I'm gonna have to, <laughs> I'm gonna have to change yeah. my tune. Go away and really think about myself. <laughs> So what what score are we giving it? Because we said we wouldn't talk much about these, and we do have some other stuff to discuss, so I I don't think there's much more we can say without going away and fully immersing ourselves in them, which probably won't happen anytime soon. So Civ 1, it's difficult, isn't it? Because for us, it's a fairly low score, I would think, if we're being true to our... we're, We're giving points just because what we think. I think you've got to add a couple on because of how influential it has been the fact that it spawned another five sequels spanning i mean what 20 odd years you don't see many franchises bring out that few iterations in 20 years and still be this popular that was the thing that sort of struck me when i was looking through the release um sort of schedule for it all i was just like how did they go that long before releasing another one? When If something was that popular, normally... I mean, I appreciate the level of complexity of the game, so it would have probably taken a while to code. But yeah, you look at... It's like five years between each one, whereas if it had been released today, they'd have been churning one out for next year. 
Yeah, exactly. And I don't know whether that is, like you say, the development cycle is long, or whether they know how much replayability these games have got, and they genuinely don't want to be that company that puts out a new version for the sake of it with a couple of couple of cosmetic tweaks. Oh, there's there's one new leader by this new game, yeah. and then you get exactly what you paid for the year before, but with a couple of little bells and whistles. They do do DLCs for them and stuff, don't they? I think 4 had two DLC packs in its during its lifetime, so you do get that little bit of in-between to, to freshen it up. But I think, like we said, there's so much replayability in them that unless they do something drastic, there's no need for another version of it. And I think a lot of the version updates have come mainly because of like graphical advancements from what I could see. They've done a new version to make it look a lot nicer, and then they've incorporated more complexity and changes while they've been doing that almost. So I don't know whether we'll yeah. see a 7 anytime soon. To be honest with you, I've literally just looked that up. Um, so Civilization Six was released in 2016, so we probably the magazine probably just missed out on it because it was October, hmm. so it's quite late on in the year. So depending when in the year the magazine was released probably explains why they didn't include 6. But 7 is slated for this year. So right. it's been eight years since the last game, and it, at the minute, it's only tentative for twenty twenty four. Oh so... well, if it comes out, we'll play it. <laughs> we'll do an episode on it. We'll actually Give invest <laughs> invest ourselves in seven because I've tried other similar games. Is it Tropico that's quite similar? Yeah. And I just couldn't get into that one as much. I don't know if it's because I was familiar with this, and it feels like the same game but with a different layout and everything. I just couldn't quite get on board with it. And then there was one that came out for Xbox on Game Pass really recently, which I can't remember the name of for the life of me. And that was... I tried playing that, and it was the most complicated thing. And I just could not figure it out whatsoever. If I remember the name of it, I'll um, I'll say. But it was a similar idea, but you're... In fact, no, it is practically the same idea. I don't think there's anything really that different about it at all. But yeah, I just I just couldn't get my head around it. That was an information dump of this, 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 and you just could not, do you know what I mean? There, there was that much, and I only put it on for 20 minutes. I was like, I've got 20 minutes before I have to do something, I'll give this a go. And yeah, I just tried to get my head around it, and I, I got annihilated, because I sent a load of scouts out, and they all got wiped out. And I'd started a couple of civilization, like little villages, and they immediately got taken over, because I had no one to go and defend them. And then I got a game over, so... Hold on, I'm just uh, looking in my game library to see if I can find what it was called. Although Xbox doesn't like to make it easy to find games like that. They're in literal alphabetical order and that's it. This could take a while. It's alright, I'll put some lift music in <laughs> while I'm searching. I suppose one of the ones I got... Uh, yeah, I'm literally padding here. Um, so one of, the one, one of the games I played that was similar to this that I actually enjoyed was Evil Genius and Evil Genius 2. Yes, I've installed them, but I've never actually got around to playing them. So I don't know anything about them. They're all a bit buggy, um, but you can just sort of... It's a base builder, and 
So you are an evil genius trying to take over the world and you can like send out demands and stuff like that. Very Doctor Evil. Um, and you get you have to defend your base against espionage and stuff like that. And the problem I came up against was you had guards that were supposed to be protecting you. And unless you told them to go and guard stuff, or if you could see someone walking in that was sort of like trying to infiltrate your base, and they'd just walk past the guards, guards wouldn't do anything (laughs) unless you physically got involved. And it's like, I'm an evil genius. I am not supposed to be doing this. This is your job. (laughs) And you can set traps and stuff like that. Uh, Yeah, that was one of the few games like this that sort of ticked with me. Humankind. It was called, and it is that. That was a, a lot of effort for not much reward, but it was it was very, <laughs> very difficult to get into that one again. Probably if I had time to sit and read everything, but it was to its credit, it had a massively in depth tutorial. I just didn't have the time or patience to read everything it was trying to tell me to do, and it also didn't really explain certain things that you needed to know, or it flashed them up on the screen. And then it'd disappear and then it didn't come up again. It wasn't like it left it there until you figured out how to do it. So I missed one of them and I was like, right, I don't know what to do now. So I just sent my scouts like mining for ore or something, which probably wasn't the right choice. And then, yeah, got wiped out shortly afterwards. So Civilization for me is a lot more straightforward than that. It, it doesn't hold your hand, like you said, but it also isn't overly complicated to know what to do. I won a couple of games without reading most of the text it was throwing at me. One was just a war of attrition. It came down to two, me and another faction, and we were just chasing each other around the map, trying to wipe each other out, and then I managed to corner them and send a load more troops in and wipe them out. But yeah, it is is a fun one. I'd recommend giving it a go. I think, like much of these, talking about it has made me want to go and play it again. So it might be one that I, I'm pretty sure I've still got it installed on, on either my Steam Deck or, or my Xbox. So I might go and give that a go, or maybe five or six if either of those are available. Because um, they might all be on my Steam Deck. I buy that many Humble Bundles and stuff and install them and never play them that I've probably got most of these games already. But Evil Genius is one that I have got. So I, I wasn't 100% sure on the concept of that game. Like it doesn't, the description on Xbox doesn't really tell you what it is. And the screenshots don't help either. So now I know it's something akin to this. I might go and go and try that as well. But back to scoring on that little tangent we've gone off on there. I'd say the original one in the 60s somewhere. I don't think we could go higher. Just because we... One, we can't really experience it anymore without... I mean, it's not illegal, is it, if it's abandoned where, but... There's that many dodgy sites out there that you don't really want to be going downloading games off off sites like that. It just looks like I wouldn't get on with it these days as much as I probably would have done maybe in like 95, 96 if I'd have picked it up then. Yeah, it is very much an 80s PC game, isn't it? When you look at it, you just go, oh yes. 1991, but developed very much in based in the 80s. Yeah, and it's one of those where you have to pick what audio you want for it, like Sound Blaster and all that. So you'd probably spend an hour trying to figure out, because if you were like me as a kid, I didn't know what graphics card or sound card I had. So I just picked every combination until it worked. (laughs) And I usually got there in the end. Uh, But yeah, Civilization Four, I think, much higher for me. I'd be going sort of low 80s, I would say. It's fair, 81? Yeah, it's a type of game I do enjoy. I I mean, I'd, I'd prefer... 
I'm I'm astounded that this is on here twice, and the likes of Roller Coaster Tycoon, Theme Park, those kind of Theme Hospital, those kind of things don't make the cut. That does baffle me a bit, especially Theme Hospital because everyone loved that game. Yeah. It was like such a beloved game, and so much so that they did Two Point Hospital, didn't they? Like twenty odd years later, because everyone wanted another theme hospital, and it did amazingly well again. So to exclude that from this book, and it's as well with it being a British magazine and Bullfrog being a British company, you'd think that Theme Hospital would have made it in there, but evidently not. But that's one for the future for us to talk about, maybe because I did used to love that game as well. Never got particularly far on it but I always loved the first few levels when it was quite easy and straightforward. When it got a bit complicated, that was it. I was out. I wouldn't have been any good as a hospital administrator. As soon as people start throwing up in the corridors, I was off. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> Close it down. Burn it. Burn it all. <laughs> but that's one for another day. So, yeah, 81, I think, is a fair score for Civ Four. But as I say, I think you summed it up best when you said they probably don't both need to be on there which we've had with some other games as well. In in the other games, we have sort of grouped them together, haven't we? But these are so disparate, I don't think you can give them the same score. It, it wouldn't be fair to give Civ 4 a low score, and it wouldn't really be fair to give Civ 1 a higher one. So we'll put them in as separate yeah. entries on this, on this occasion because they are so different. And with that out of the way, we promised it last week, and true to our word, we are about a month behind the trend, but we will... <laughs> finally discuss pal world so full disclosure again i haven't yet played it i've got it installed but then i read that it was making people's xboxes overheat and because mine is a day one and it's quite old and it's also in a little bit of a confined space i didn't want to risk blowing my xbox up until they figure out why it's causing things to overheat so i haven't got around to playing it yet but luckily eddie's put the (laughs) <laughs> the integrity of his electronics on the line to give it a go and, and report back to us. So what are your findings on Pal World? To be honest with you, I think the realize, uh, the reason mine hasn't overheated is because I can only play it for short stints. I haven't got obsessively into it yet. I think that's probably because the game is really bad at explaining stuff. Like, supremely bad at explaining stuff. And I know the biggest criticism to come out of most reviews of it is it's Pokemon with such and such added on. And it's not. It's more like your Rust and your Ark Survival Evolved with Pokemon. It, it's it's a base builder, base management resourcer, crafter with Pokemon catchable animals latched onto the side of it. They are quite integral to the gameplay, but they're more. There are some quirky little um, things you can do with them. I mean, for a start, you can capture people. So, like the little random NPCs that wander around, you can throw the capture balls at them, and you can literally capture them and bring them back to your base and make them work for you. I know that. Yeah, when it first came out, people were well. I say people. The those five people on the internet that moan about everything were claiming that it was promoting slavery because you could capture actual humans. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> so there you go. That's that's their take on it. Obviously it isn't, but that's You've I mean these people are perpetually irritated on it. They've got to be annoyed at something else. Their life has no meaning. And that week it just happened to be that you could capture a, a digital person and get them to help around where you you live and that was tantamount to slavery. That's like saying Pokemon 
support animal abuse because you're well. sending these animals to kick the shit out of each other. It's it, it, the two aren't. <laughs> there is no sort of correlation between people that abuse animals and the fact that they play Pokemon. I mean, you say that, but Peter are very adamant that Pokemon is promoting animal abuse. I don't know if I've I've never been on their website because I don't care to go anywhere near them. I mean, I'm all for the the sort of safety and security of animals. I, I'm a meat eater, so I'm a hypocrite, but I also have lots of pets. I love animals in the most part. I don't want to see them suffer as much as I can possibly help it. But Peter are militantly against yeah. anything remotely. Like they, They've gone after Nintendo multiple times. I've watched YouTube videos on it, and they've got loads of little mini games on their website where it's like you'll play as Mario and you have to go around slaughtering animals, which doesn't really make sense because he's not in Pokemon. But they've they've put <laughs> Nintendo stuff together. And then there's one, I think there's another one where you basically like catch Pokemon on it and then make them fight to the death and they've made it really gory and bloody and but that isn't what happens in Pokemon, is it? They just get knocked out. They don't die. They don't suffer like permanent injury. Yeah. And if and if you've watched any of like the Pokemon anime and stuff like that, they are competitive by nature Hmm. it is in their sort of genetics and their dna to want to compete with other pokemon and that's all it is there is never any physical harm bestowed upon the animal it is just them competing to see who is best and that's it there's no malice in there but yeah (laughs) so yeah it is it is an interesting title and the similarities between some of the pals and the Pokemon world are very, very close to the point where I am amazed that there haven't been, there hasn't been a successful lawsuit. This is I don't get it because Nintendo is so litigious about stuff yeah. like this, and they're both based in Japan, so it's not even like it's an international lawsuit. They could do it on home turf. Nintendo must know something that the rest of the world don't to not go after this, surely. Because this would be shut down by now. If if you and me made a game about a little fat plumber that had orange and purple overalls on and he jumped on little things that looked like piles of dog shit, and, I don't know, terrapins instead of turtles and we put it out as a £30 game, we would get shut down so quickly it's unbelievable. So there must be something going on that that we're not aware of Either that or Nintendo sees this as good marketing, because you don't talk about Pal World without talking about Pokemon. That is very true. I mean, it does come back to, uh, for me anyway, I think it. this isn't the first game to sort of try to rip off Pokemon, or try to crib off the idea of Pokemon, because Digimon started it back in the 90s, so you had Pokemon first, and then... Digimon sort of scuttled out from under the floorboards <laughs> and became a thing. And then there was was it Monster World? Did that was that similar Monster as World. well? So yeah, there's there's been a few. And they're all I mean Digimon in in and of itself has its own massive cult following. It's got its own card game and stuff like that. So that that is still quite popular. It's got its own video games to be fair. But I kind of think that this whole Pal World thing is the kick up the arse Nintendo needs because I'll be honest, the Pokemon franchise has been stagnating since 
black and white. So since mm. the DS titles, really, they, they keep introducing new battle mechanics and new th- gimmicks to make the battles more interesting. But that's not why people play Pokemon games. People, the one thing that people want out of it is a full 3D open world that they can just go, no biomes or anything like that. No, oh, you're having to come out to go to the main map to travel to over here, uh, which is a separate biome that is completely separate from this. They want a Breath of the Wild mm. with Pokemon that aren't just little bits of shaking grass that are wild and roaming around that you can battle. And I mean, to Pokemon's credit, it is one of the few games that melds and seamlessly sort of brings together multiplayer and single player because a lot of games try to do both but can't be optimized for both you either have a good single player experience that multiplayer just makes easier or it is a multiplayer experience that you can play in single player but it's boring or it's too hard but pokemon sort of melds those two worlds together quite nicely but they need to kick up the arse in terms of what they need to do next to make Generation 10 good. Was Scarlet and Violet not that open-world experience then? Because I haven't played that one yet. Does it still have it the is, connectors but... and stuff where you have to, like you say, go back to a central hub and then filter out into a new no, area? It, it was it was open-world, but I think with Legends Arceus, which was... They were their first attempt at doing something a bit more open world, but they were biomes, so they were separated. You had to go back to a main hub to then select which other place to go to. That was good because you could sort of sneak around in the grass, and then without throwing a Pokemon out to battle it, you could just throw a Pokeball at the back of a Pokemon's head and it mm. would attempt to catch it. This, you have to go into battle to catch a Pokemon. There is yeah. no just sneaking around in the grass throwing stuff at it. And I think what people want is that more freedom of experience rather than, oh, you are limited. You have to battle each Pokemon if you want to catch it. Yeah. And there are just tweaks that they could do and they could make that would make the games bigger and better. And again, they've not released a a Pokemon game since the 3DS where you can have all Pokemon in it. Every mm. single one has had a cap on how many you can have. I appreciate that 3D rendering every single Pokemon and its moves and it, you know, its static yeah. motion where it's not actually engaged in battle but actually having it do something while it's waiting to do a move. You have to code all that and you have to design all that. So I get there's over a thousand of the little buggers now. So doing that is obviously. A, allotted time that you are going to have to put to one side to create this Pokemon game. But they need to do something. Otherwise, games like this are just going to... There is going to become a point where another game is going to come out that surpasses it and does stuff that it should be doing, but it just doesn't want to because it doesn't want to move away from its fixed formula. See, I have a completely different opinion on what the next Pokemon game should be. But before we get to that, I'll just put on my best ad reading voice. Because I'd like to talk about our sponsor for this week's episode, Woodland Health and Wellbeing. Gamers are often tagged with that unhealthy reputation. And unlike Eddie, who's always in the gym, I do squarely fall into that category, which is why I was quite excited when Woodland reached out and asked if we could work together. So Woodland's main aim is to help people become the best version of themselves. 
and that's done through one-to-one mentoring, meal planning, help with exercise plans, just general support and advice. They also work with Body, who are a company who've created a whole host of fitness support, including videos from the likes of Sean T, who came up with the Insanity Workout Plan. And they also offer access to Shakeology products, which are meal replacement or sort of energy boosting drinks and bars. So there's a bit of something for everyone in there. They've even developed a completely free printable wellness planner and journal for our listeners, which is gaming themed and will help you map out your day and and get more done so all you have to do to get hold of that is drop them a message on facebook and instagram to see how they can help you and there's absolutely no obligation whatsoever to join just have a chat with them and find out what they can do for you the links are in the description if you'd like to check them out and please let them know that the bucket list game has sent you when when you do reach out to them back to pokemon what i would like to see from pokemon is them go back to the original formula rather than doing these 3D games that just don't do it for me. I'd love them to do blue or red, but a brand new game, but in that style. So all the sprite work is your traditional sprite work. You've got the 2D little bobble-headed kid walking around the 2D environments that are just so charming. Obviously, you can make them better than... like Because I think the, the latest DS ones were still that style, weren't they, pretty much? They just jazz them up. So just go back and do one of those. I'm not bothered about a 3D open world environment. I want old school Pokemon where you where you get like stood on ice blocks and you can only go forward to the next one and then you have to do puzzles and stuff like that. You just lose all that when you go into the 3D world. So for me, that is that is what I want from it, I suppose. No, that's fair because when Pokemon did move away to the sort of more 3D environments and stuff like Sun and Moon or X and Y, they removed those sort of environmental puzzles, those little rock-pushing puzzles where yeah. you had to use strength or what you had to navigate using surf and dive and stuff like that or like you say with the ice blocks where you used to have to push them or skate around in a certain pattern all of that sort of got lost with the transition to three more 3d environments but i think pal world is just the latest in a long line of pokemon ripoffs but i I think the the gaming media needs it it doesn't just need to have to go to pokemon for this sort of thing and yeah. it, it goes back to when we used to call first person shooters doom clones and when we've started calling anything that is sort of high difficulty boss battles with stamina management we call them dark souls clones as opposed to what they are yeah and we will get to a point in the future where we don't use that terminology anymore it is just a more broader aspect because, I mean, I think it was either last year or the year before there was Temtem, which was a similar animal catching or creature catching game where you could battle. But again, it had slight differences to the standard Pokemon formula. But I think people have been so averse to doing something similar because Pokemon has just held that crown yeah. for so long that they don't want to invest money into something that they're not going to get a return out of because Pokemon will, everyone will just go, well, it's just like Pokemon. I'd rather play something I'm used to. But yeah, I think it's something that gaming needs. Let's be fair about it. Pal World isn't going to unseat Pokemon, is it? It, In a couple of months' time, I don't think you'll hear much about this anymore. It's not going to become that juggernaut franchise. They've done all right out of it, don't get me wrong. And I think there will be people that play this for a couple of years because it, and, and if they keep putting updates out with new pals or whatever they're called, it will 
keep the attention for a certain amount of time because like you say earlier on before you start recording it's still in in beta isn't it it's not even a full game yeah so if they do if they do get it to the point where they're happy with it and they release it as a full release you'll probably get another little uptick in take up and people talking about it but i don't see it being this all-encompassing franchise where they've got trading cards and plushies and all that kind of thing it's just like you say, piggybacking off the back of Pokemon when it isn't really that kind of game when you actually sit down and play it. I mean, your description of it makes me think that it's basically the bits I hate about Fallout 4 and Pokemon. So like building the settlements and stuff and Pokemon. And I, I don't know, it's put me off a bit now, but I will still give it a go. I mean, the the overwhelming majority of your time in Power World, you will spend building a base and using your captured Pokemon to help you mine for ore, mm. or cut down trees, or collect upgrade materials. You need to catch pals, or a certain number of pals, to sort of get, like, they drop items that are specific to that sort of species. And in order to craft certain upgrades... It, so it's like any other crafting game where you have to kill something and harvest what it is you've killed to get certain materials to then craft your next upgrade in the upgrade tree, but with the added advantage of being able to battle with them. But you don't use them that much Mm. for battling. It's not turn-based. They just attack when you launch them out of the balls. And you can do little quirky things with each individual pal. So there's one that's like the Vulpix, basically. It is a little fire dog thing and you can literally pick it up and use it as a flamethrower <laughs> so you can throw it out of its pokeball you can whistle it over to you you can sort of pick it up and equip it and you squeeze it like a pair of bellows and it just <laughs> it, it becomes a flamethrower which has like a limited bar mm. use and then once that b- runs out it then returns to its ball or r- runs back around the area until the gauge refills again and you can re-equip it and there are loads that you can do it with, I think, the thing that looks like an Electabuzz, hmm. the giant bear thing with the lightning bolt on it, that can be used as sort of like a zap cannon where you can just electrocute enemies or... But yeah. I'll give it a go at some point. It's not on. It's not as high up on my list as it was when it first came out. I mean, I had a couple of hours the other day and I chose to play Turnip Boy Robs a Bank instead, which in, incidentally is a brilliant game. Uh, I finished it in about three hours, but it is great. The first one was good, to be fair. It just didn't have a lot of substance, whereas the second one, they've turned it into a roguelike type of thing, which suits me perfectly. So I got really into that, and I think I've got like one achievement left to get, and then I'll never play it again. For its time, I did enjoy it. But unless you've got anything else to cover, I think we're about done today, and we're under an hour, amazingly. Uh, no, that was it. it we, we promised we were going to talk about Power World, so I have given my assessment of it. Next week, we still don't know what we're going to do. We, we, we're down to the dregs for a lot of the list now. We'll look down it and see if we can pick something, anything on there. We're saving a couple of good ones back, so we'll try and pick something else out of what's left. And we might talk about Turnip Boy. I don't know if the first one's still on Game Pass, but the new one just come out as, and you don't really need to have played the first one. There's a bit of lore at the beginning, but other than that... So yeah, give it a go, and we'll discuss that next week. That's something for everyone to look forward to, us talking about a three-hour indie game for, for 45 minutes. But there you go. Until next time, I will say that is goodbye from me. That's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me.